Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we are going to talk about Xbox, because Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, has released a blog post earlier this morning, very casual tone, very much trying to separate the Xbox brand from those brands that are maybe a little bit more corporate, want to have a little bit more control over the message, although... This message today was very particularly controlled, but in a way designed to be casual, right? As Han Solo says to Chewbacca in Return of the Jedi, fly casual, right? And that's what you see Phil Spencer doing in this announcement this morning. And we're going to dive into one very specific aspect of it, as you saw from the name of this video. What we're going to talk about today uh, is the end of generations. Uh, and what Xbox undoubtedly hopes for is the end of the console war in its favor, uh, by creating an ecosystem within the Xbox brand that people are really going to be attracted to. But before we dive into that, I did want to talk about one thing really briefly uh, because I've really enjoyed virtual legality. I've enjoyed putting this series together. Uh, and, you know, absolutely, we get to the end of these videos, I say like, subscribe, whatever else you're supposed to do on YouTube. Smash the subscribe button, I think. Ring, ring the bell. It's very confusing in the life of a YouTuber. So please, Hit the buttons you're interested in. If this is your first time here in virtual legality, ignore all of this. I don't expect you to do any of that. But if you've watched a couple of these, share it with a friend. Uh, we're trying to grow the channel. We're really proud of what we're doing in virtual legality right now. I think we've really got this down uh, at this point. We're putting a lot of good information out there. We're having a lot of really interesting discussions. And I think if you like virtual legality, if you like the channel, a lot of you are going to be pretty impressed with some of the stuff that we are lining up over the course of the rest of the year. Can't make any guarantees yet, so we'll see what's going to go on there. Uh, but we've got a lot of really good possibilities and a lot of irons in the fire that I think a lot of you are going to like. But I also wanted to say this. I had a conversation this weekend with a friend of mine. Uh, and this friend basically said, hey, I love your virtual legality stuff, which I'm always thankful for. It's always very humbling and I very much appreciate it. But I love your virtual legality stuff. But I got to admit, I'm not the biggest gamer. I'm not the biggest game fan. So a lot of the times I skip big chunks of your videos because I really don't see anything in there for me. And I totally understand that. Um, but I wanted to say a few things, just if, if you are new to virtual legality or if you haven't watched all, however many we've done now, 179 episodes of virtual legality, the thesis of this channel, the thesis of this series is that we can take the things that we enjoy like video games, like movies, television, popular culture, sports. I think you see a few sports videos in there that I've done in the past. And we can talk about serious things. We can talk about micro and macro economics. We can talk about the impact of businesses, corporations, and corporate structure on the way our world actually operates. And we can do it through a gateway that we enjoy as a hobbyist, right? That we love Marvel movies, or we love Star Wars, or we love video games. And hopefully we can have that conversation in a way where stripping that down to the things we like in our leisure time and also stripping it down away from the things that are really, really serious, you know, politics, foreign policy, multinational infrastructure and the implications it has on massive populations across the world, that we can have these conversations in the relatively low stakes arena of the movies that we enjoy, of Spider-Man contract rights being tossed to and fro, of video games and console wars. And with a little luck, we can take this conversation and really get insight out of it, really have fun with it in a way that doesn't offend, doesn't have people saying one way or the other that something that I've said or that you might have said in the comments of these videos is absolutely beyond the pale. 
Because at the end of the day, we're talking about Spider-Man. We're talking about Xbox. But hopefully with some real truths about how the way the world works. And even if you don't necessarily love the Xbox or the PlayStation or gaming in general or Spider-Man or the MCU or Star Wars, you can still get a little something out of this series because we're talking about these things in a somewhat neutral place. We're just using the entry point of the things that I personally love and that I think a lot of you love to talk about them. So that's kind of a long-winded couple minute long way of saying welcome to virtual legality if it's your first time if it's not your first time yeah share it with a friend we're going to try to get subscribers in here and we're really happy with what we're saying uh what we're discussing in this channel we had a very high level of discourse with respect to the video we did at the end of last week which we'll talk about at the end of this video when we're talking about the channel in general uh, but we're really happy with it uh, and we'd love to have more people engaged with us in that conversation and i think now's a good time because we do have some some good irons in the fire but today we're going to talk about Xbox, because as I started this video off with, Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, decided to just kind of nonchalantly put out a little bit more information about what the Xbox is going to be, what Xbox Series X is going to be, but also, I think, more importantly, more predominantly, the thing that everybody should really be taking away from this conversation is what the Xbox brand is going to be. Bill Spencer, it is clear now, and it has been clear for some time, but it's even clearer today, wants to sell the Xbox brand as an ecosystem. Oh, I'm playing that game on my Xbox. Oh, the, the one, the 360, doesn't matter. We're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about I'm playing that game on the Xbox, and that's what it is. The Xbox is this ecosystem of devices that's going to have different power, different output, different things that it can show on your screen, but ultimately playing all in the same sandbox of toys just with different polish put on those things and and that's what's really really interesting and that's what makes it a different business model than what it appears like sony and playstation is pursuing although to be honest they've been very quiet right we have certain assumptions about what sony and playstation is doing that they are sticking with the very traditional walled garden you buy a console and you get the games on that console and it doesn't so much focus on playing the games in previous generations like on the playstation 4 and they compel you to buy the next set of consoles because X, Y, or Z game couldn't be done on the old generation. And so, oh, you got to get that next box because, oh, look how this game looks. And Xbox is moving away from that. And let's talk about what they had to say. So, Mr. Spencer starts by saying the future of gaming has never been more inspiring. Creativity in games is flourishing. New services empower you to discover more games and bring you closer to the games and creators and streamers you love. The cloud creates a massive opportunity to stream console-quality games and play with the people you want, wherever you want. And for many of us, nothing is more inspiring than the dawn of a new console generation. We know you expect the next generation of consoles to set new standards in graphical power and processing speed, converging together in games that look incredible and feel alive. This will be defined by worlds that are visually astounding and immediately immersive, with innovative leaps in CPU, GPU, and storage technology to give you frictionless access to new stories and new creators constantly. Now, we talk a lot in virtual legality about messaging and what you're trying to achieve with what you put out there in the world, right? This to me reads as if, okay, I'm about to say some stuff that's really kind of off the wall for what we have thought about as generational shifts, transitions between these generations in the video game space. So what I want to assure you of right at the beginning, hey, you're in safe waters. Xbox has your back. Here's a life preserver. You're going to be fine as we dig deep here. Because yes, 
the Series X is going to have a new GPU. It's going to have a new CPU. It's going to take you to new worlds. It's going to be a graphical powerhouse. All the things I've always said, all the things Xbox and Microsoft and Sony has always said is going to be the case. Okay, you're going to get new graphics, but we've got a lot more to talk about. That's the implication. That's reading between the lines of what this paragraph says. We've been using Xbox Series X in our internal take-home program and are energized by the feedback we've been receiving. Hey, we've been playing these things. You, you guys aren't going to believe it. At Xbox, we value being open and transparent with you, which I've highlighted in blue here, right? Because one of the things I noted just a few minutes ago is that Sony and PlayStation has been pretty standoffish about exactly what the heck the PlayStation 5 does, how it operates, what, how it works. They've Yes, they've had a few articles in Wired and talking about quick load times and things of that nature, but it's still a little bit unclear. It's still a little bit murky what the PlayStation 5 is. Most specifically, we don't have any idea what it looks like, right? Now, the Xbox Series X, as you can see, is a kind of monolith type thing. It's not anything particularly special, but we don't have anything to even kind of think about what might it look like under our TV as a PlayStation 5. And I'm proud to be able to share details about some of the technologies we are enabling for the next generation and look forward to boldly sharing more as we head towards E3. Yeah, I think all signs point to the big blowout for the Series X being at E3, price, uh, date of availability, that kind of thing. Uh, and as we've talked about in virtual legality a number of times now over the past couple of weeks, Microsoft and PlayStation are currently engaged in a little bit of a game of chicken about exactly what they are going to reveal and when, most specifically related to the price. Uh, we talked about a article last week, I believe it was, where it was kind of revealed that PlayStation was struggling a little bit with its parts pricing uh, and that the actual building of a PlayStation 5 was looking to come in at about $450 at the Sony level. Uh, and that ordinarily, if you're selling a product out into the marketplace, you would sell it at more than it costs you to make it, uh, which isn't always a guarantee in the video game space. But with that as kind of our background, we don't yet know what these things are going to cost. And everybody seems to want to go second on this, adding even more confusion to the entire issue. Our discussions of the coronavirus, discussions of the supply chain coming out of China and Asia in general, and what, if anything, that's going to affect as these consoles are set to launch this holiday season. I think it's going to affect at least the supply availability of these consoles, if not the outright timing of when they release. So that's going to be an open question as well. But with the highlighted yellow language here, we've got a suggestion that the intent right now is for Microsoft to have a big blowout at E3. Then we've got a section which I'm actually going to skip over, which I highly anticipate other YouTubers, other folks, other websites are going to focus on. This has a lot of the details about the power and what exactly the Xbox Series X can do. I've highlighted here, they've talked about a new technology called variable rate shading that allows them to essentially aim their power at specific pixels, at specific things that are going to require additional energy and not like the shadows in the corner, I would imagine. And it says it has no impact on the final image quality. That's one of those we shall see kind of propositions, but certainly it sounds very interesting and, and I have no doubt the Xbox Series X is going to be a, a very strong system. Uh, they also kind of move to counter the very little that we know about the Sony PlayStation 5 by having a section in this announcement that talks about quick loading. 
SSD storage, quick resume of multiple games. You're going to be able to keep multiple games suspended. Now, if you're anything like me, my Xbox tends to throw up if I have a game suspended for too long. So I'm constantly kind of restarting the whole system. So we'll see how that works in practice. But certainly keeping multiple games uh, in kind of a state of pause would be interesting for maximizing the efficiency of the limited amount of time that many adults have to turn on their Xbox and actually play with the thing. Uh, they also talk about some other things, including 120 frames per second support, which I suspect will be somewhat sparsely followed by developers. They like to put a few shinies on screen, and I don't know whether there's a lot of advantage for a console player uh, to get more than 60 frames per second. But now that I have said that sentence, I am sure one or two or five of you will comment to this video about how much better 120 frames per second could be on the consoles and more power to you. I got to tell you, my Twitch skills are not what they were even five years ago. Uh, so if I can get an elimination in Fortnite, I consider it a win for the day. And I doubt very much that 120 frames per second would help me. But it's nice to see that support there. Now's the section I really wanted to talk about. The next generation of game compatibility. The benefits of the next console generation extend in every direction bringing greater visual fidelity and improved loading speeds to your existing gaming legacy in addition to new games. So everything we just talked about, this Xbox Series X is going to do all that stuff, teraflops, SSD, all this stuff, but it's also going to apply to your existing gaming legacy. As I've highlighted, we're continuing our commitment to compatibility with Xbox Series X and investing in technology that makes game ownership easier across generations four generations of gaming. Our commitment to compatibility means that existing Xbox One games, including backward compatible Xbox 360 and original Xbox games, look and play better than ever before. Your favorite games, including titles in Xbox Game Pass, benefit from steadier frame rates, faster load times, and improved resolution and visual fidelity, all with no developer work required. Your Xbox One gaming accessories also come forward with you. Let's start there, right? One of the headline items you are very likely to see, and I apologize I haven't gone throughout the entire internet ecosystem to look at what the various websites are reporting here, but one of the things you are very likely to see is this headline item, Four Generations of Gaming. The one thing I would ask for folks to avoid, and I think this is going to happen regardless of how the headlines read, is that this doesn't say that every Xbox 360 and original Xbox game is going to play on your Xbox Series X. What it says is that everything that worked on the Xbox One, which had kind of specific backward compatibility functionality added to specific games from the 360 and the original Xbox era, everything that works on your current box is going to work on the Series X. And I think there's an implicit premise there that that is their intent moving forward, that from the Xbox One generation on, since we're keeping some kind of similarity in architecture, because we know now that the Series X can do everything that the One can do, because they're saying it's being brought straight over, that that would continue throughout the Xbox generations. No promises, obviously. There's never any guarantees on these kinds of things. But I think the implicit premise is, okay, we didn't necessarily have that all figured out, all lined up in the original Xbox era or the 360 era. By the time we get to the One, We've decided this is what we're going to do with backward compatibility. This is, we've decided what we're going to do is kind of we move forward as a video gaming company. And part of that is that we want you to feel like what you bought on Xbox, you're taking with you. And we're going to talk as part of this video about how important that is, really how revolutionary that is in the console space and how banal it is in the PC space. But 
the dream of essentially buying one copy of a game, having it come with you across generations, have it be potentially better. You hear it described by Phil as your favorite games benefit from steadier frame rates, faster load times, and improved resolution and visual fidelity with no developer work required as the Series X and presumably future Xboxes can essentially just use their power and tap into whatever the programming code was at the one level or at the 360 level and use that additional power in some beneficial way, very much like a PC, right? If you're a PC gamer, you know that you can play a game with ultra textures and ultra shadows and everything else if you've got the horsepower in your laptop or your desktop to do it. But if you don't, then you can turn a lot of toggles off and hopefully get a game that runs at least somewhat steadily and somewhat happily for you with all those lower settings. Xbox is moving towards that PC model or towards the model you might be familiar with from the land of smartphones where Apple will just sell the next iPhone and the next iPhone and the next iPhone. And you can always access the stuff in the App Store or in Apple Arcade or wherever you find yourself in the Apple ecosystem. But it will say, yeah, this works from this generation on. If you try it a little bit earlier, you're going to have some trouble because we've been improving our processors. And I really do think that's what Microsoft is aimed at. And to kind of put a cherry on that Sunday is the big ticket item here. Smart delivery. This technology empowers you to buy a game once and know that whether you are playing it on Xbox One or Xbox Series X, you are getting the right version of that game on whatever Xbox you are playing on. You say, huh, okay, what does that mean exactly? We're making the commitment to use smart delivery on all our exclusive Xbox Game Studios titles, including Halo Infinite, ensuring you only have to purchase a title once in order to play the best available version for whichever Xbox console they choose to play on. So from a legal perspective, from a lawyer's view, how I read these things, is you look at it and you say, okay, right now, you give Microsoft $60, and what do you receive in return? You get a license to use Halo on the Xbox One. And what this license is instead going to say, and nobody's going to read this, but what it's going to impliedly say from what Phil is describing here is that you get a copy of Halo, in this case, Halo Infinite, and you get to use it on whatever Xbox you've got. Now, presumably there's going to be some contours around there. They don't have to keep it up forever. It's not an obligation to support Halo Infinite on Xbox Series Omega or whatever the next, next, next Xbox is, but that you've got some kind of right to buy it on the one, the actual box that you have under your TV right now, and when you decide to upgrade to the Series X, it'll be waiting there for you. And if you think about what this actually does to how these models work, and yes, Phil Spencer and Microsoft have said they don't view Sony necessarily as the competition, but while there is some truth to that, it's not entirely true. Certainly the gaming division considers Sony significant competition just as they do Nintendo, et cetera, et cetera. And so you look at what would happen here and the, the objective is to create within your kind of portfolio of games a, a lockdown effect, right? What we might consider a network effect, but we're gonna talk about that in a second. That essentially says, yes, you bought Halo on the One, you bought whatever else you bought on the One, and it's going to be supported on the X. And if you moved over right now, if you went to the PlayStation 5, Halo's a bad example because that's a Microsoft exclusive, but if we pretend for a moment that 
they can convince Ubisoft to come aboard on this kind of licensing. And Ubisoft says Assassin's Creed Ragnarok or whatever the next Assassin's Creed winds up being called. You buy a copy of that on your Xbox One. That's going to be available for you on the Series X when you transition upward, but you aren't going to have it available for you in the land of PlayStation. And so if you want to instead kind of go over from an Xbox One to a PlayStation 5, you'd have to rebuy those things. And there's no guarantees right now that Sony wouldn't make you rebuy them anyway in order to operate on the new ecosystem. And we're going to talk about that as well in a second. A lot to unpack in this kind of conversation. But that if you transition that way, go diagonal to their competitor, you are going to lose this value that you otherwise would have. In other words, hey, if the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 are roughly the same, if we can get into the ballpark of these two consoles being putting out pixels at roughly the same rate, looking roughly as pretty as each other, then why in the world would you give up the 6 or 10 or maybe 15 games that you have in the Xbox ecosystem to transition over? This is a long, long kind of objective that Xbox has had, really from Xbox Live onward. If you look at the 360, trying to build these network effects, trying to build this ecosystem, that's what achievements are. That's what that's what points are. That's what everything that you try to put and attach to your Xbox profile and your, your PlayStation network profile, that's what these companies are trying to do is make it more costly, either psychologically or in actual cash money, to transition over to their competitor. And Microsoft is thoroughly aimed at that goal at this moment. And we've seen it writ large with what they're trying to do with Game Pass. And as you can see here, when we talk about Halo Infinite being transitioned between these two devices, Halo Infinite is going to be a Game Pass game. And we'll see that in the next bullet. But with all of Microsoft's first party support, it's going to be something that you have as value that they're trying to get you to stay with rather than transition to their competitor. And then we have the real button on the thing. It says this technology, this great pro-consumer thing, who couldn't love it, will be available for all developers and publishers. And they can choose to use it for titles that will be released on Xbox One first and come to the Xbox Series X later. Look at that little bit of pressure, right? And you can bet this little bit of pressure that we see publicly is substantially more pressure behind closed doors. Hey, this thing is very pro-consumer. This is going to play very well. You don't have to buy that remastered copy of Game X. You don't have to pay a price to upgrade your game. If you remember from the last transition in 2013, you essentially had, and I think Ubisoft is the one that I remember this the most with, you had like $10 that you could pay to upgrade an Assassin's Creed across generations. We're not going to charge you that. We're Xbox. We're pro-consumer. Oh, and by the way, we're going to let everybody toggle this button. Ubisoft, you can toggle that button. Activision, you can toggle that button. Electronic Arts, toggle that button. And these consumers will be so happy with you. And also, look at the pressure that it places on Sony, right? If Sony says, nah, you buy a copy of something on the PlayStation 4, you got to buy it again on the PlayStation 5. Sorry, that's the way it's always been done. Xbox says, yeah, the way it's always been done doesn't mean it is the way it always has to be done. You could do this too, Sony. And in some ways, you're trying to call their bluff. Sony doesn't want to do that. The market leader doesn't want to do that. These companies make their money off of people selling their games on their system. So if you sell one on the PlayStation 4 and you get your 30% cut and then they have to sell it again on the PlayStation 5, you get your 30% cut again. And so 
Sony looks at it and says, oh, all right, well, that could be a significant reduction in revenue for what is an operational business model right now. And sometimes in virtual legality, you hear us talk about the value of competition, right? We talk about it a lot with respect to Epic Game Store and Valve Steam Service. And you might hand wave it away and say, yeah, I never see any of that value because competition is all Adam Smith, invisible hand stuff and that kind of thing. And you're not wrong. It's kind of hard to quantify on a day-to-day basis. But imagine, if you will, that Microsoft was the only video game hardware provider in the world. They would have very, very limited reason to do something like this. And one of the reasons you've seen the game console generational shift kind of have this feature, kind of have this feature where the loser of the previous generation, or at least the second place finisher, comes in with some really novel stuff, some really innovative stuff to put pressure on the leader, right? And PlayStation didn't necessarily have to do that so much when they released the PlayStation 4 because Microsoft was trying some stuff that people either weren't ready for or just wasn't a good idea. So Sony mostly stood ground and and won the generation that way. But now you've got Microsoft and Xbox with a clear focus of doing something different. And we talked at the start of this video about these kinds of lessons, these kinds of things being generally applicable across industries, right? What you've got right now is a market leader that wants everything to stay the same because, hey, they're leading the market and they think they'll win the next generation if everybody just keeps doing what they had been doing. Microsoft says, yeah, that might be right. We're going to shake things up, right? Ultimately, we're a software company more than a hardware company anyway. So we're going to introduce Game Pass. We're going to introduce this recurring revenue stream, this games as a service, software as a service. They'd already moved into that wholeheartedly with the office supply stuff that they sell. Outlook, Excel, Word, everything is 365, software as a service. And you can hate that. All right, some people are going to comment in this video and say, hey, I hate that software as a service stuff. I like to own the stuff that I own. Well, we can talk about software licenses another time. I've got plenty of videos in this series to do it if you want to kind of dive into that ground. But suffice it to say, Microsoft has the experience to sell this. And they say, hey, that's a brand differentiator, right? If you read any of this stuff in business, you go to business school, you go to economics, whatever it is that you're studying, one of the key kind of concepts is brand differentiation. Microsoft is moving out there saying, hey, we're sick of this fight. We're sick of selling consoles that live under TVs. We're going to try something different. And by the way, we're going to pressure you a little bit, Sony. Look at how nice we are. Look at how good this is. Who could argue against smart delivery? Sony couldn't argue against it. They might ignore it, but they can't argue against it. And one thing I would like to say here in the middle, I've given like six disclaimers to this video, so I apologize. Really, I do apologize if it's your first visit to virtual legality, but this disclaimer, I think is kind of funny. I've covered a lot of stuff in virtual legality. I've covered a lot of contentious stuff. The last video we did was Gamergate adjacent and talking about clicks and journalism. And we had to be very careful with our language. We think we got a good message out there. That was somewhat controversial, right? We've talked about Roger Stone. We've talked about politics. We've talked about all sorts of things in virtual legality. You know what the two most contentious issues are? You know, the people that DM me and yell at me for being one way or the other. The two most contentious issues are Star Citizen a lot of big Star Citizen fans out there, they get mad at me when I say Star, Star Citizen's production cycle hasn't been great. A lot of, lot of comments there. And number two, the console wars, right? And this is the same as it's ever been, right? Enter Ron Perlman saying war never changes. The console war stuff comes into the comments to these videos, comes into my social media feed more than almost anything else that I cover. So as I am saying all this, and you hear a lot of pro Microsoft talk here, because I do think this is novel, this is interesting. And as a guy that has been involved in all these generations, basically, I always 
favor being interested in what somebody's planning, what they're doing, if only to follow it out of curiosity, that I'm going to say these positive things. You say, oh, he's a Microsoft shill. He loves that Xbox. I'll tell you what, I'm going to buy all these things, right? I have a limit on time more than resources. And so I will buy the Xbox Series X. I will buy the PlayStation 5. I love my Switch, right? But that doesn't mean I can't love what one company is doing more than the other. And Sony's going to have great games. Sony's going to have amazing games. I'm looking forward like nobody's business to Spider-Man 2. And I think Xbox first party output has been very, very lacking for a number of years. But I like what they're doing with their models. I like how they're trying to look into the future and find a place for themselves to live in what is very rapidly becoming a games as a service and a software as a service environment in video games. So I say that positive stuff about Microsoft. I can't wait to say positive stuff about Sony. If I have more information, you'd see that video as well. But for now, I think it's great that they're following these different models. And we see that in the third bullet point from Mr. Spencer. Xbox Game Pass. In addition to games from across four generations of consoles, our leading game subscription service, Xbox Game Pass, will continue to have our first party games like Halo Infinite included at their launch. Which means, by combining the Xbox Game Pass with the notions of smart delivery, that you essentially can buy Game Pass and be good to go from day one in the entirety of the ecosystem. You're just playing your Xbox. Like in the late 80s, you used to be playing your Nintendo. That's what Microsoft is aimed at. They are no longer in the business of just trying to put consoles under TVs. And why is that? I promised you we'd talk about a few things here, and I think I referenced about four of them as later in the video. One of the things I wanted to talk about was network effects. Right? You've probably heard this term a lot. I've pulled up a Wikipedia entry here, but the basic idea is pretty intuitive. When you've got something that involves interacting with others, the more people that are involved with that thing, the stronger that thing is, right? So Xbox and Microsoft has said, let's lower these barriers to entry, right? We don't want to necessarily be fighting Nintendo and PlayStation for just the core gaming industry. We want to make a value proposition so ridiculous, a ecosystem that has to be the place where everybody wants to be only to interact with each other, that it is so obvious that you should just get a Game Pass and maybe the cheapest Xbox you can find. And hey, if you want to upgrade that later, that's fine with us, that we just want to cover the entire gambit of what people could possibly want out of Xbox, and then we can have that last picture. Right? We can have all the telephones aimed at each other because this web is very, very strong. Microsoft looks at Facebook. Microsoft looks at YouTube and says, hey, why are they so impenetrable? It's because when you have that many people in that ecosystem, it costs so, so much to build a competitor up, to fight against it, that they can do almost anything that they want. Right? We have Video after video talking about stupid stuff that's done by Google, stupid stuff that's done by Facebook, by Twitter. And because they have all of those network effects, it costs so much to leave. It costs so much to build up a competitor that they really, really, really have to screw up in order to have that strength weakened or lost entirely. And Microsoft says, okay, we've got capital. We've got software expertise. Let's not fight this fight on the grounds we've been fighting it on. Let's fight it on a new ground. Let's fight it on that software as a service. You buy Halo right now, you can use it. We're going to go with quote unquote forever, but at least for as long as it would probably be pertinent for you to care, right? 
you can play Halo Infinite for the foreseeable future in the Xbox ecosystem. Wow, isn't that great? Also, by the way, we're going to try to get third parties to do that as well. And that's one thing that I saw in my social media. I pulled up a tweet from Matt Piscatella who said, hey, this is Spencer talking. We're going to pull up that article too. I don't need to sell any specific version of the console in order for us to reach our business goals. The business isn't how many consoles you sell. The business is how many players are playing the games that they buy and how they play. He continued with saying, so you goofballs in my mentions complaining that content is greater than power is somehow a dig at Xbox when Xbox is hyper-focused on content can just, you know, stop. The console warring is boring. So I do disagree with Mr. Piscatella here on one point. I don't know that they're hyper-focused on content. I think that's certainly where they're aimed in terms of delivering content. They are trying to build a Netflix kind of analog in the games industry. And they have been investing in buying new studios in order to kind of build up their first-party support. But unlike Sony, they haven't necessarily been hyper-focused, as Mr. Piscatella describes it, on producing content as much as they are hyper-focused on creating a content ecosystem, which is where you want to live if you are a gamer. And that might be, you know, angels on the head of a pin or, or slicing the onion too thinly. But in my opinion, that is distinct. They aren't necessarily focused solely on the creation of that content as much as they are on creating a space in which that content can live. And I do think that is an important distinction. Although, hey, I welcome disagreements in the comments to this video. But as I said, this article is fascinating. This is actually from just after E3. It's from The Verge. It says exactly what we just read from Mr. Piscatella, Xbox boss Phil Spencer on the future of gaming. The business isn't how many consoles you sell. I don't need to sell any specific version of the console in order for us to reach our business goals. I don't care whether you buy that box because at the end of the day, if all of this works 10 years down the line, you're going to say, what does it matter? Do you have an Xbox? Do you have a TiVo? You know, that's a pretty dated reference probably, but nobody really cared what version of TiVo you had. You had a TiVo. You had that functionality. If you have an Xbox, you can play games on your TV. That's where Phil wants to get to. And ultimately, the best way to do that is to lower the friction on entering the ecosystem in the first place. This is a model you see throughout industry. We just haven't seen it in video games so much. Honestly, I think it has every chance of being successful. But as I've talked about on other podcasts that I've appeared on and in other contexts in virtual legality, it has its own problems. This is a new business model. You're going to have to sort out a lot of stuff with third-party providers. You're going to have to sort out a lot of stuff in terms of compensation and what your game pass looks like, what those rotations look like, what the ultimate cost is. And yeah, you can get millions and millions of people in with loss leaders like the dollar promotion for game pass, but ultimately you're going to have to find a balance and that's what they are going to be working on for the next couple of years. So it's not a fait accompli. This thing isn't done, but they've got a policy, they've got a structure and they've got a plan. And honestly, I'm very interested to see how it goes. If you are following software as a service in general. You know that Xbox isn't the first kind of software as a service to try to bring everyone together to have everybody make sense in one ecosystem. If you're familiar with Disney, uh, anybody familiar with that company? Small media company makes a few movies. Uh, they have a service called Movies Anywhere, which I think they purchased and rebranded. I'd have to go look at the corporate history there. But one of the cool things that it does is it combines your purchases from everywhere. Right, So if you buy a movie on Amazon Prime, you can play it in Movies Anywhere, and then that also links to everywhere else that sold it. So if you buy it in Prime, 
and there's some cool other materials in Apple. You can watch those materials there. It's one license. You didn't buy a copy of Halo on Xbox One. You bought a copy of Halo. And anything that can run the thing, you get to run it on. And so this isn't that unusual. It's just unusual for the space. And if you've been following along with the games industry in general, you know that there are certain developers, there are certain publishers that like to go out there and like to really have as their outward face a pro-consumer position, even if that potentially loses them by pure mathematics back-end revenue, that they are losing something in profitability. And if you've been also watching this video, you know I've been running cyberpunk pictures on the side for our, throughout its entirety. The reason for that is because CD Projekt Red tweeted out as soon as Xbox made this announcement, gamers should never be forced to purchase the same game twice or pay for upgrades. Owners of Cyberpunk 2077 for Xbox One will receive the Xbox Series X version when available. In other words, that toggle Phil is telling people to press. Oh yeah, CD Projekt Red is pressing it. That's always been their marketing stance, right? And we can talk about what pro-consumer means, how you brand your service or your product through it. But CD Projekt Red has always said, what we want people to feel is that they got a bargain. They got a value from us. You go and you look at the Witcher expansions and you got the length of two full games for 25 bucks. That's how they want you to feel about it. So it's no big surprise that they hit the toggle. They hit the button. But it will be very interesting to see if some of the more, uh, let's say, reticent to be totally pro-consumer, to look like that, to leave that last dollar on the table publishers decide to make those elections themselves. A lot of that story is going to be told behind closed doors. A lot of that story relies on exactly what Sony's planning. And we don't know the contours of that. We don't know what Sony is planning in respect of backward compatibility. We don't know if they've ever even thought about anything like this. We know that they've sold things like Shadow of the Colossus remasters and Last of Us remasters and things along those lines. So they have been making money on the concept of requiring a certain subscription price for a generational change. And if that goes away, if the market standard becomes a very much more PC-oriented model, you bought a copy of Halo and whatever box can play it, you get to play it on, then Sony's going to have to make some business model changes of their own. And if they're making those changes, then yes, expect everybody to hit the toggle because that's very likely what's going to happen. And that doesn't mean that you have a legal obligation to hit that toggle. You can license out whatever you want. It could be Activision as the last entity standing that says, nope, you buy Call of Duty on one system, you got to buy it again on the new system. Very well could be the possibility. Very well could happen. But if everybody else decides against it, it's very hard to be that last entity that's deciding on this clearly, if not anti-consumer, not terribly pro-consumer stance, even if that's the way it has always been. And so even if you hate Microsoft with every inch of your being, even if you've never liked an Xbox that's ever been sold, I, ha I think you have to say from an economic perspective, from an industry perspective, this kind of pressure, this kind of competitive pressure that you see Microsoft exerting is only ever going to be a good, right? There's really no negative ramification to this other than the fact that developers are going to find out exactly how much money this costs them. Hopefully, the pro-consumer aspects of this encourage the growth of the entire industry so that it can absorb whatever loss might be had in terms of remastering something. You know, if Rockstar can't make Grand Theft Auto V money again, 
in the PlayStation 4 era. How does their bottom line look? What does that change about making Red Dead Redemption 2? These are all these kinds of alternative universe questions you can't ask or you can't answer. You can certainly ask them. But at the end of the day, just as a kind of naked prescription, this toggle is great. And one last thing, the existence of this, the existence of this delivery system, this smart delivery system, certainly makes the basic announcement of Lockhart the somewhat underpowered, cheaper, diskless next-generation Xbox, the contemporary of the Series X that has been hinted at for years and years and years now, seems not only more likely, but adds a very, very interesting wrinkle to this entire thing. Because you don't have to buy a Lockhart version. You don't have to buy an Xbox One version. You buy an Xbox version, and you can play it on whatever happens to be under your TV. In my opinion, that's a very, very strong value proposition. I'm very interested to see exactly what happens with Microsoft on all of this going forward. And I think we are in for quite the console generation. And it might well be the last one that we see. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this episode, as I said to start, like, subscribe, tell your friends, share it and read it. Put it on NeoGAF or Reset Era or wherever you find yourself. We want to have more and more of these conversations, and I love talking to people in the comments to these videos. As I said last week, we had a somewhat contentious, controversial topic that we wanted to discuss about games journalism, about whether there are cliques and cabals, what the actual pressure exerted by conformity is in modern professional contexts. And I think we had a good conversation there. I think a lot of people have added a lot to the comments, so please do check those out. But we're also talking about big tech in general. You see, we've got... YouTube and Apple and the FTC and all this various stuff that we talk about. We love to have these conversations. Join us, tell people that we exist, and we can have those conversations with them. And also, keep your eyes on this space. We might have some good announcements of our own coming up very soon. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. I very much appreciate it. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.